you uh, have your Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're working our way through this uh, series, uh, unwrapping and discovering the Messiah, uh, talking about, as we look through uh, Matthew's gospel, how Matthew, this Jewish tax collector, uh, had his world turned upside down by a man named Jesus, who Matthew came to realize was the promised Messiah that God had promised hundreds and thousands of years before would come and deliver his people. And we've been talking about Jesus' younger years in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Jesus was a young boy at the end of chapter 2, and now he uh, is a a full-grown man. And so several years have passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we meet uh, someone who we meet for the first time in Matthew's gospel, but we met him in Luke's gospel already at Christmas time, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. Uh, And so uh, remember that Mary, when the angel came, they gave her this message. She went to her, it's likely aunt's house, uh, Elizabeth, uh, and they, she was also with child, uh, and that child that she was with was John the Baptist. So uh, we find him in Matthew's gospel beginning in verse 1. So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is uh, he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his uh, his food were locusts and wild honey. Jerusalem, all Judea, And all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so we have an interesting introduction to the person and ministry and work of John the Baptist. And uh, we find here, you know, that in this story, we really find out what the heart of the gospel really is before Jesus even enters his ministry and, and the preaching scene that he goes about. 
and so we want to summarize what the gospel is all about uh, this morning. We talk about John the Baptist, who was this forerunner, the one that prepared and proclaimed the, the way of Christ's coming. Uh, and the first thing I want you to see about the gospel this morning is that the message of the gospel is about change. Notice what we find John the Baptist preaching. Uh, his message, Matthew summarizes as this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is what's at the heart of the gospel. You see, the gospel reminds us that we need to repent. But the gospel is good news because it reminds us that though all of us come into this world sinners, separated from God because of that sin, God loved us enough, he made a way for our sin debt to be paid. And that way was not us trying harder, it wasn't by us giving money, and it wasn't even by us being baptized. That way was Jesus Christ coming and being born of a virgin and living a holy and sinless life and then laying that life down on the cross of Calvary, shedding his innocent, sinless blood as payment for my sin debt, my sinfulness, and your sinfulness, and the sinfulness of all of the world. But make no mistake about it, the gospel message is a message that demands change. You see, we find here in the story that Jesus will welcome anyone. It's significant that John the Baptist was out uh, preaching. And when we think of wilderness, we think of kind of a desert. That's not exactly what uh, the area that John was preaching in. It was, uh, there are parts, there's plains there in uh, the Jordan that, when it's not the rainy season, it's, it's dry. There's still trees around. There's vegetation. But there's not much out there, kind of like Lumpkin. Uh, it's there, but there's not much there, except Martha. Martha and Danny are there um, and Biscuit. They're there, but it's out in the middle of, of no. But when the rainy season comes, why, that area was, was flat. It was wet and bogged down. So you couldn't be there during rainy season, but... Uh, John the Baptist, we find there, preaching this simple message. Uh, and I'm sure he said more, um, but uh, it boiled down very well to this message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And by the way, that's the same message that we find Jesus preaching all through the Gospels. Jesus' message is repent. Well, what does it mean to repent, preacher? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. Repent means that we turn away we, no, no, and we walk away. Repenting is not just being sad that we got caught doing something. But it is stopping doing whatever it is that we were doing and agreeing with God that it was wrong and walking away from it. You see, the gospel demands that we change. Jesus will welcome anyone. It's significant that, that Matthew records for us people were coming from all over to be, to be baptized. And uh, baptism in the Old Testament uh, and the wash was um, a symbol when a Gentile would convert uh, to Judaism. They were, were baptized. But baptism also symbolized in the Old Testament uh, a purification. 
Uh, it was a, a rite that people would come and they would uh, be baptized, and it was to purify themselves of their sin, to recognize that they needed forgiveness from God and that they were saying, listen, I want to give God my life. And when we do that, no matter how much junk is there, God washes it away. And that is one of, that is great news. But friends, we need to understand that God will receive anyone, but when you meet him, he will not leave you like he found you. When you take a bath after, you know, a, a basketball game or you've been out in the yard working and you're dirty and sweaty and stinky, if you've taken a bath, guess what? You're not dirty and stinky anymore. If you're still dirty and stinky, you didn't take a very good bath and you need to go try again. And so the point of the gospel is, is when we come to Christ, when we truly have repented, there is change that takes place in our life. Now, I want you to understand something about that change. There's one instance that that change is instantaneous. That moment when Christ comes into our life and we surrender our life to him and accept his gift of the atoning work he did on the cross of Calvary, we are instantly changed. Our standing before God instantly changes. We go from sinner to forgiven saint by the grace of God. But there's another aspect of that change that's progressive. It doesn't happen right away. It slowly takes place. Slowly, our standing is instantaneously changed, but our character and our being is slowly changed. Paul talks about being transformed by Christ. And the gospel slowly impacts and chips away at things in our life. And and so God begins to change us. And that work of sanctification, that work of becoming more and more like Christ, is a progressive change. But if the Lord is in our life, and we've repented of our sin, it is a work that is continually working in your life. You see, if you're here this morning, and you say, listen, I've repented of my sin, I've arrived, then you're deluded, my friend. But as long as you're still above dirt, there's change that God needs to work in your life. As long as we have breath in us, God is working in us to make us just like Jesus. And hopefully you're more like Jesus today than you were a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Hopefully you're different. But you've not arrived yet. You see, we will not have arrived until we reach glory. When we leave this old sinful, carnal body in the ground and we receive glorified, perfect, holy bodies in heaven. See, the Bible says in heaven there's no crying and no weeping, but there's also something else about that place. There's not a speck of sin in heaven. You see, while we're carrying around this old fallen body, We wrestle with flesh and blood. Our 
sinful, carnal desire sometimes rear their head up and say, listen, let's, let's skip church. Let's not do that church thing. Let's, let's go to the ball game instead. Let, let's sleep in. Let, let's go do something else. Let, let's, instead of doing what we know God has told us to do, let's do what we want to. And by the way, it's not just on Sunday that the Lord asks your life. If the only time the Lord has your life on Sunday, he doesn't really have it even on Sunday. But you see, the Lord changes us on Monday and on Tuesday and on Friday and on Saturday. Every day of the week, God continues to work on us to make us what we ought to be. To take out the the muck and the yuck and replace it with, as Bill and Gloria Gaither put in their wonderful course, something wonderful, something beautiful, something good. The Lord is able to do that because he changes us. Well, the truth of the matter is most of the time we don't really like change. We're more comfortable with things staying the way they are. Why? Because even if they're not all that great, we at least know what they are. And we know what to expect. And yet change is both necessary and good. Because when things don't change, that's a good indicator. We're dying. When there's, you know, so we look forward to change. All of you have changed through your life. You came into this world Uh, needing someone to clothe you and feed you and carry you from place to place when you were an infant. But you grew, and you began to be able to crawl and then walk and then run on your own. Much in the same way, God expects us to progress in our relationship with him. There comes a time, and Paul talks about this in his writings, and the writer of Hebrew does as well, that when we're babes in Christ, we can handle that formula, that, that nourishment. That Now, baby formula, if you're an adult, and you taste it's nasty. It doesn't taste very good. But it has nourishment and the nutrients that babies need to grow healthy. They advance to milk and formula, to that cereal, that Gerber cereal that you mix with, you know, it's kind of lumpy, but it's a step up. That's grosser than the formula. It's not good. They advance then to baby food in those little jars that you get. And now they have them in pouches like Capri, Capri Suns. Uh, some of them are quite gross. The banana one, I remember a banana, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, some, some of them aren't horrible. But most of them are disgusting. But you don't have to eat that mushed up baby food for it. Eventually you move on and guess what? You get hot dogs and hamburgers and macaroni and cheese. Those wonderful things that I doubt any of us, since we've enjoyed 
the real stuff. We've enjoyed the, the good food. We would not want to go back to that formula, would we? We would not want to go back to that mushy, disgusting, smelling baby food out of a jar. Because Why? Because we know how much better steak is and pizza and all those wonderful foods that we enjoy. How much better it is. And yet... God says that's the same way repentance and the gospel works in your life. As you grow in Christ, you know him more and more and more. And you look like him more and more and more. You reflect his actions and his attitudes more and more. Those that were coming were coming because they recognized that there were things in their life that God didn't want there. Notice what it says they came being baptized, repenting or confessing their sins. In other words, they recognized and they proclaimed, they said, listen, there's something in my life that doesn't belong there. And I need to get it out of my life. And so the message of the gospel is about change. But then we find, secondly, the forgiveness of the gospel comes through our confession. It wasn't the water that made the people right, even in the Old Testament. It wasn't the fact that there was this river or a pond near their house, and it was convenient for them to to just go and and be baptized. It was ordinary water. The water didn't change because John the Baptist got into it, and all of a sudden it became holy water. It was the same water as it was before. But something happened while the people went into that water, but something happened because of what they did before they went because they confess their sins. Because they were willing to recognize and say, hey, listen, there's something in my life that doesn't honor the Lord and I want to get rid of it. You know what? Before a person can be saved, they have to recognize that they're lost. And I tell you, in 2017, in the Bible Belt, that is very hard to do. Most people are that, well, I'm pretty good. I've been to church in my life. You know, maybe I don't go all that off, but I'm a pretty good person. I do good things. So, you know, I'll, you worship God your way, I'll worship God my way. We'll go along our happy way, and we'll end up in the same place. That is one of the greatest lies the devil ever came up with. Because as long as somebody thinks they don't need salvation, they're never going to turn to Christ. If, if Satan can get them to convince them and convince them that they're okay, then it doesn't matter that they're not okay and that they're headed down a road that leads to destruction. You see, the way of this world does lead to death and destruction. 
But the way of following the Lord leads to life and blessing. And you see, we choose which road we walk on. And we even have the ability as human beings to travel for a while on both roads. You know, even when we know Christ is our Savior and we are wandering along the paths toward righteousness and to heaven, we sometimes can start to veer off, can't we? That straight and narrow path. And so recognizing that we're on the wrong path. But you see, if you just recognize you're on the wrong path, but you keep going, recognizing you're on the wrong path doesn't do you one bit of good. You're still not going to end up where you intend to wind up. But if you recognize, listen, I went left when I should have gone right. And you take your car and you turn it around and you go back and make the turn that you should have made. That's what confession is. Not just recognizing you've done something wrong, but doing what it takes to correct the course of your life. The Lord is long-suffering and patient with us and gracious to us that he allows us U-turns because he knows we'll sin. He knows we'll fail him. He knows we will make bad choices. And yet he chooses to love us. Now, part of that love is punishing us. If we don't confess our sin, God's going to punish us for that. But if we confess it, God pardons us. And puts it, as the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west. And I don't know how many miles that is, but it's a long ways. In fact, it's long enough that they won't ever be brought up again. Not because the Lord's old and he forgets things, but because he chooses to forget them when they're under the blood of Jesus. And so our confession not only is of our sin, But there's also a confession that needs to take place in our life where we confess Christ as Lord of our life. You see, John was preparing the way for the gospel. He says, listen, I baptize you with water for, for repentance. But there's one coming after me that is mightier than I, one that I'm not even worthy to unstrap the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with fire. His baptism will be different. You see, what we need to understand is that the confession that we need is not just to admit that we've done wrong, but that we need Christ in our life. It's only when we realize that Christ needs to be in our life, when he's the strength that we can say, I can do all things. Paul didn't say, I can do all things. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John, 
John's gospel records Jesus' words in John chapter 15 where Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. And so not only do we need to confess our need for salvation, we also need to confess Christ as the Lord of our life. We need to confess that, hey, listen, we not only need salvation, but there is only one place where we can find the salvation that we're in need of, and that's in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're reminded, the last point this morning, that the center of the gospel is about Christ. The gospel is not about John the Baptist. The gospel is not about free will Baptists. It's not about denominations or anything else like that. And that is why John, in the middle of all of this, as he's baptizing, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Normally, two warring groups that would not associate with one another. They hated each other, but they came together at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew um, to uh, hate on what God was doing. But they also show up again together throughout the Gospel, especially at the end, when they conspire together to crucify Jesus. And so these normal enemies were united by their common hatred of Jesus the Christ. And John sees them and knows that they're Sadducees and Pharisees. And he said, who told you to come that you needed repentance? Now, Sadducees and Pharisees were both very self-righteous people. They thought because of their lineage and their heritage and their good works that they were all right with God that they were chums, that everything was good with them. But then they found, and John pointed out to listen, it's not about your heritage. For if God wanted to, he could turn these rocks into people who would be Abraham's children. So he's saying it's not just about your lineage that makes you safe. In fact, he begins to say, hey, listen, in fact, you're in trouble because there's an axe at the bottom of the tree that you're trusting in to save you. And he gives this wonderful illustration. He said, listen, you need to, if you come for repentance, you need to do works worthy of repentance. In other words, it needs to be out of your sincere heart. And if it's not out of a sincere heart, it's It's wasted. And so he goes on, he says, listen, it's not about this baptism water. It's about what it represents. And the one who's coming after that's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And John, even here at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, begins to talk about the judgment of an almighty God coming against people who are religious. You see, it's religious people that are in most danger of hell's fire. Most lost people, a lot of them know they're lost and they just don't care. They decide they're going to do things their way. But there are a lot of people who think that they're godly people and yet there is not a bit of evidence of that in their life. They may look like godly people. They may even go to church. They might have 
cross bumper stickers on their car, cross earrings and necklaces that they wear on occasion. And John the Baptist said, listen, Jesus is going to come. And he's going to come baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and the winnowing fan is going to be in his hand. That was a, a pitch for a, a harvest term. Uh, when they would separate the wheat from the chaff, they would throw it up in the air, the wind would blow away the chaff, and the good wheat would fall to the ground. It was separated. And that good stuff was then turned into you know, bread and uh, cake and donuts and the things that we all like. The chaff was burned away. So we need to understand that the center of the gospel is not about our baptism, not about our church. It is about Christ. And you see, if your life and your salvation rests on anything other than Christ, it rests on shaky ground at best. It rests on weak ground. It rests on ground that will not stand. Well, I'm a good person. Well, it's good. I think it's good to be a good person. And it's good to do nice things and be kind to one another. Can I tell you there will be a lot of kind people in hell? Because finding salvation isn't about being kind. It's not even about being better or more good than your neighbor or someone else. Because God doesn't compare you and your sin to your neighbor's sin it compares it to his absolute holiness. And when any of us are put up to that standard, we fall miserably short. But if Christ is the Lord of our life, if we've confessed our sin and confessed him as Lord, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Christ. He says, oh, this is one of mine. This is one whose sin debt has been paid. But you see, Jesus is going to tell us later on, there's one way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is only in Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross of Calvary that any of us can hope to find salvation. But the good news is that because Jesus did die on the cross of Calvary and shed his innocent, sinless blood, that absolutely anyone, no matter where we came from, whether it was Alabama or Georgia this morning, can come to know the good news of the Lord, can come to know forgiveness and new life that God brings and a relationship with Him brings. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so let us not ever forget what the gospel is about. The gospel is not a feel-good, hug-em-up message where we're just all okay. The gospel is not, well, I can be saved, but if I do this, 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 and this. For Paul reminds us it is by grace through faith that we are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. 
But if you are saved, if you've repented of your sin and Christ has made you a new creature, you are changed. And I mean you're perfect, your standing is perfect, and that standing is immediate. But as long as you're on this earth, there is change that God needs to work in your heart and in your life. The old song that he's still working on me. Made the moon and the stars and Jupiter and Mars in just a day's span. But how loving and how patient he must be. He's still working on me. What the gospel is about is not you understanding and having everything figured out. The gospel is about you being changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. By you confessing you're getting rid of everything that doesn't look like Christ so that when God looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. That you've been made, and when you get to that point, that we're in heaven, the Bible says we will be just like. Then this sin and temptation and the struggles we have in this world will be no more. But not if we try to get there by our good works. Not if we try to get there by being good or giving money, hugging trees. But only if Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. And if he's the Lord of our life, just like John the Baptist proclaimed to the Sadducees and Pharisees, if you've truly repented, there's evidence of it. There's works of it. You don't work for it, but there's works that are there because of it. And there is evidence if you're a child of God, if you've been changed by Christ. If the gospel has come into your life, there's evidence of it. If there's not evidence, then it has not taken hold and it has not produced the results that God intends for it to. But the good news is is that it can. But you have to let it. Remember, John preached the message, repent. In other words, God will welcome anyone, but you have to... Take that first step. You have to say, Lord, I know I need you in my life. And I want you in my life. And once we make that decision, then our world completely changes for the better. Doesn't mean it's perfect. You know, in this life, in this world, Our life is not just roses because we follow Christ. In fact, sometimes after we come to Christ, our world gets rougher. And things get harder. And yet we're able to go through those hard things and those harder things because Christ goes with us. And we can do all things with him. That's the message of the gospel. God takes us just as we are, but he will not ever leave us like he found us. Praise God. He changes us. And he's working on changing us until we meet him face to face.
and we're changed. As Paul said, in the twinkling of, in just one instant, what we've been working on our entire life will finally be accomplished. But it will happen because of what Christ did for me and for you and for all of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the gospel. Well, Lord, it's to our human ears, it's just too simple. If we try to complicate it, and your message is to us that we need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, that you want to change our life. Change it for the better. Lord, that we need to be cleansed by you. We need to confess our sin and confess you as Lord of our life. And Lord, we need to build our life with you at the center. Because as long as we've got our eyes fixed on you and we're within the shadow of the cross, Lord, as long as we're covered by that cross, you're still working. As long as we can see Jesus and we're following after him, we're headed in the right direction. Lord, encourage us with that. But, Lord, maybe there's one here today that is not headed in that right direction. They're not where they ought to be with you. And, Lord, would you convict them? Would you convince them this morning that the answer is not to work harder? The answer is not try try more. The answer is to repent. Part of repentance is confession, but then the other half of it is turning away and heading back to you. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Help us to leave this place changed because we've heard from you. And, Lord, may we keep the message of the gospel ever before us and ever in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.